The following broadcast has been approved for elite Hornets fans. What a block by Cody Zeller. Walker down the lane, drive, shoots, scores! Game over! Bringing back the buzz is only the beginning. We will not go quietly into the night. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. It's Hive Talk Live. Welcome in, Hornets fans. You are listening to Hive Talk Live here on AtTheHive.com. It's Hornets Talk for the hardcore fan. We are live in the Gittimer.com studios in beautiful uptown Charlotte, the true Queen City. I'm Doug Branson. And I'm David Walker, a 37-year-old father of two, trying to figure out how we can get to Coachella to see Guns N' Roses reunion. <laughs> what? Is that real? That's, a, that's top of mind right now for you. That is uh, top of mind, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of hype surrounding it. I don't have anything else going on, so why not you know, go to Coachella in April? Coachella. Coachella. I'm probably not going to get it. I thought it was, co- I thought it was Coachella. I thought the H was... Uh-uh. 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 Hey, you can okay. listen to us uh, live every Tuesday at 6 o'clock p.m. right here on HiveTalkLive.com. Follow us on Twitter at HiveTalkLive. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast aggregator to get shows uploaded to your mobile device of choice. David, we have a big show ahead of us. Uh, Adi Joseph from Sporting News is here in studio. We'll uh, get to him and his uh, great article on Big Al Jefferson here in a moment, but before we do that, a big announcement. We're adding a Thursday show. Now, we did a Thursday show last season, uh, David, and we kind of switched it out for a Saturday show, but the demand is there. The The hardcore Hornets fans, they want more talk, so we're adding a Thursday show, and we're proud to announce we're partnering with ESPN 730 right here in Charlotte to launch a Thursday edition of Hive Talk Live Hive Talk Live Thursdays brought to you by ESPN 730 will go live January 21st at 6 p.m. right here on AtTheHive.com on Blog Talk Radio. Joining us to co-host that show will be Justin Thomas from ESPN 730, and we'll be broadcasting live from the ESPN 730 studios right here in Uptown Charlotte. You can still listen to that show live on AtTheHive.com and uh, get the re-air on iTunes and Stitcher and on uh, ESPN 730's website. But uh, we'll be working closer with ESPN 730 in the future to bring you insider access and the most in-depth information on the Charlotte Hornets. And with that, I say, let's swarm Charlotte. David, it's probably fitting that in a week where we're really talking a lot about Hornets injuries, it's the title of this episode that my voice is completely shot from You're playing hurt. Illness. Well, you know, listen, the the the, the, the fans they, they need the Hornets talk, and so, you know, I'm trying my best here to play through the pain like like Batum before he had to sit uh, finally for a couple of games. Uh, but it's been a tough week for the Hornets. They're on a four game losing streak now, and uh, we knew that January was going to be tough, but David, these injuries making it a lot tougher. And that's the big thing. These injuries are killing them. I mean, you knew before the season MKG wasn't going to be there. Then you have the big Al stuff, and now you know it's it's Lynn one night. Uh, he he did make a he did come back, but now without Batum, I mean that really kills you because going into the season, obviously, if you would have said you won't have you won't have Al, you won't have MKG, you weren't really. Sh- sure what the Batum picture was going to look like, but you knew he was going to be a big piece. And without some of those key players, especially, oh, yeah, and you, go out and you play the Warriors, uh, it's going to be tough. They've, they fall pretty hard, though, actually, but it's just that's just too much to overcome for the Hornets. Um, with all those injuries, any team, you know, injuries are going to happen, but seems like it seems like <laughs> seems like they always have the worst time for the Hornets. Yeah, no, it's the second straight year now that they've sustained uh, some pretty devastating injuries and Last season, it seemed like you had the, the major injury, and then that that player would recover, and then you would have another major injury. The difference, I think, between these two years, though, is that last season the, the defense held, and you had Bismack Biombo coming off the bench, and several other guys that uh, could uh, fill the gap defensively. But this season, uh, that hasn't held true, and the defense has been. Um, definitely a lot worse than it was last season. They're, they're, I tweeted out the stat before the show that uh, in the last 11 games, they're 3-0 and when they don't allow or allow 99 points or less. Mm-hmm. They're 0-8 when, when they have allowed 100 points or more. 
So right, and the scoring's there because when they score a hundred, um, they were undefeated. Except, um, let's see here, what was the Clippers and the and the Warriors? The last these last two games. I mean, that should be noted too. Look, last four games: Clippers, Raptors, Thunder, Warriors, Raptors, and Warriors on the road. So I mean, they're playing some good teams, some better competition, getting away from Charlotte a little bit. A lot of stuff that we 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 saw coming, and you throw in the injuries. It's it's a it's a tough road to hoe right now. But you know, things could be looking up with with uh, Phoenix on the rise. On the rising, on the horizon, and the come the sun. They're playing the suns. <laughs> You're trying to land it. Let's uh, let's um, let's bring in our guest uh, for the show. Uh, he is the uh, an NBA editor for uh, Sporting News, Adi Joseph. Adi, welcome back into the studio. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I enjoyed that joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least one person. In the there studio. we go. <laughs> um, no, so the, obviously there are a lot of injuries. Do you think that that uh, is the, the the main culprit for this lack of defense, or do you see some deeper issues defensively with this team? Well, I mean, I think, honestly, it, in my opinion, the offense and the inefficiency of the offense is the, the defense looks bad because they're playing at a higher pace without Al, mm. but they're, they're efficient, their efficient field goal, uh, effective field goal percentage right now is like, just tanked in the last month and that's that's to me the biggest problem they're just taking less good shots that you, you notice it I mean that Kemba is overcompensating in the last couple of games because he doesn't have a tune because he's so he I think he feels the pressure of not having Batum and Al mm. in that I need to do more and uh you know Frank Kaminsky has been as we were talking about earlier Frank Kaminsky's been probably the the best player when they have their second unit out there which Frank's a good player but he should not be the best player on the court for a team pretty much ever at this stage in his career right, right. and so he's taken some Ill, Ill advised shots PJ Hairston has started shooting a little more in a way that earlier in the season you kind of wished he did and now you're like PJ reel it in just a little bit. <laughs> you know yeah. it's I, I like that as a narrative. I think there are several guys in the past couple of games who have basically it's, it's sort of tryouts for who's going to be the savior. And, and and you can see that in PJ a lot when he's I think he took 12 shots in, in 15 minutes of play in the first half of that Toronto game. And, um, you know, just guys trying to fill in the gaps where where we've lost people. I saw in this article that you wrote for Sporting News, by the way, great article. Go check it out. Uh, Katie, producer Katie, who is our, our Twitter maven, uh, if you could track down that article by Audi Joseph, his latest one on Sporting News, and tweet that out, I'm sure he would appreciate it. Uh, the, you said the Hornets offense has come unmoored. What is that supposed to mean? No, seriously, what's that? I don't know. <laughs> well, like uh, moorings are basically like your your bearings, and I think that's what Al Jefferson kind of provided more than anything. He was the the tr- the trunk of the tree, which is yeah. to say that when they needed a play, when the game was starting to get out of control, they could go to Al. They can't do that with anyone left on the roster. They can't. Sl- see the Warriors turning it up the way the Warriors do and just say, all right, let's stop this, slow it down, mm. throw it into Al, see what happens. Like, the, yeah. even if Al Jefferson wasn't scoring on that possession, at least his teammates trusted him enough to be willing to give hit, to, to give that opportunity and to slow the game down and sort of remember who they are as a team. And I think what what happened this year with Al was he was playing – more in line with what his teammates were doing. He wasn't just the guy who stalled the offense with a post game. So they missed they miss that because Al was the reliable player and Batum is the creative player. And without the creativity and the reliability, what do you really have? You have Kemba, who was doing great as a finisher, who's now being asked to do everything. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a great point. He was a pressure release valve for this offense when when nothing else was working, they could give it a shot. And I think to David, he was kind of a gravitational pull on the court. He could he could sometimes move a defense, but what we've seen lately without Al Jefferson is there's been a lot more passing without any particular plan, especially around the perimeter, and it's led the the turnovers have finally gotten back under control. 
but it certainly led to a lot of those uh, big turnover games that that Steve Clifford was was upset about. Yeah, and we saw a little bit of that right before Al was about to come back and some of those performances that were not great when they just couldn't get anything. There was no flow to the offense. They were just passing it around, dribbling it around. There was no one they could throw it into, like Adi said, and know what they could get. Even the threat of Al, like as you mentioned, is a thing. Even if Al's not scoring the 20 and 20, whatever he was doing a couple of years ago, having him out there to draw people's attention is still valuable. I mean, it's still something good for this team. And I think that's where a lot of people were saying, well, hey, look, Al's out. They're scoring a lot of points. They're winning some of these games. I mean, that was that was some fool's gold, was it not? Yeah, and what you had there was basically that teams had not figured out who Cody Zeller was. And Cody was playing um, like that four game stretch where I think they won four games in a row immediately after the Warriors loss, uh, the first Warriors loss, when they were playing unbelievable basketball. It's the best stretch they had this season, and it was without Al. But I think a lot of that was teams were not sure what Cody Zeller was, so they couldn't defend him properly on pick and rolls. And the second unit was being carried by Jeremy Lin, which has not been possible because Lin's starting now. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. And the other thing you're seeing with all these injuries, Doug, is especially before we got there were any of these guys coming back, the second unit, which was such a big part of the Hornets' success, was almost non-existent because so many of the guys, those guys were, were playing up. So you're seeing a lot more minutes from Brian Roberts. He actually you know, is doing okay. They're just asking a lot more. Hansborough was playing a lot of minutes. So, I, mean, they're I was going to say, as, as much people. as people sort of had fun with Spencer Hawes and, and his oddities on yeah. offense, you saw a big difference when Hawes played against the Warriors than in the previous games that he missed. There oh, was man, a, there just, was a, just dropping dimes. <laughs> there was a complete upgrade in the in the offensive flow of that second unit. So, yeah, I mean, it got, you know, talent matters. And, and when you lose uh, guys, it has a domino effect, whether it's on the starting lineup or the second unit, it has a domino effect because you have to call certain guys up. And I think, unfortunately, last season when that happened, the, the Hornets were lucky in that uh, several guys stepped up and played beyond their – you know, uh, normal talent, and mm. this season, that's that's not happening, and and they face some tough competition. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen Jeremy Lamb, who was one guy who maybe seemed like he could have been that. You know, there's there's always going to be players who get hot for a stretch. You kind of hope it's when you need them the most. Jeremy Lamb was hot for a stretch when they didn't need him the most, <laughs> and then and now they actually really do need him. They need him to be the best player on the second unit, and last uh, against the Warriors was really his first game where he was back on what he had been in November. And, and that's important. And honestly, the Warriors game, that was, that was a progress. That was some mm -hmm. progress yeah. compared to other recent games. I would agree. I mean, it looked, you knew it was going to get a little out of hand at some point. I mean, the Warriors were back at full strength. You know, they got Barnes back last night for the first time in a while. They're at home. I mean, they're, they're the Warriors. I mean, they're a different, they're on a different plane from everyone else, you know, especially the Hornets at this point. So I agree with you. I mean, it was it was encouraging. You had to go. You had to be a little crazy to think they would come out of there with a win last night. But kicking off that West Coast road trip, you know, it, it could have been, I guess, a lot worse. I mean, that's not a lot of comfort for for some Hornets fans, I guess, who stayed up and watched that game um and we're tired today because of it but you know um i'm one of them i'm yes yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah so i think there were some good things to take away but you're right and, and um last night was the first time you really saw some stuff out of lamb when he you know had some missteps on defense um was it a game before that the the thunder game or was it the raptors game where he, he got lost on a couple of times and, and the know, thunder game yeah for sure yeah yeah well and i think part of the problem defensively is that so for so long, we've been used to the Bobcats and the Hornets playing a sagging style of defense. They're very protective of the rim. But I think this team recognizes that they don't have physical players down low. And, and I've seen the Hornets be a lot more aggressive guarding the pick and roll in the perimeter. And I've seen them jump passing lanes, which I don't ever remember seeing last season. They just didn't do it. And it, it's it's resulted in, in a couple more turnovers but it's also resulted in guys uh, uh, getting getting burnt. And again, when you don't have that physicality at the rim uh, and, and you really don't have the size, we talked about that Thunder game. The, the rebounding situation mm. uh, was, was atrocious, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that 
the Thunder can throw out Stephen Adams and Serge Ibaka, two monsters physically, and the Hornets just did not have the bodies to combat that. So it's, you know, it, it's it's somewhat, <laughs> it's it's tough because, you know, you look at the situation and you go, the reality is you can only play the players you have. And, and I feel for Clifford in a sense because he comes out in these post games and says, you know, we need to play more physical defensively. We need to play more physical on the boards. And I look at the, the roster and their and their history, and I go, I don't know if if this team can do that as currently constructed. Yeah, and, and again, it was a tough slew of games. I mean, you mentioned Adams. That guy, he has just like flipped the switch into he, he's a beast, just, just beast, he's like a, beast mode. Like, he's a real beast. He gets angry at the rim, right? I yeah. mean, he's going with a purpose these days, and that makes a big difference for them. And they are uh, the Thunder. I'm speaking about. Are I mean, they're they're coming into a groove right now. Um, and so that's going to be a tough matchup. I did want to jump back to to your your piece on Al real quick, Adi, and just get your thoughts on this because you look at this season and people are already looking towards the end of the season. What does that mean for Al and this team? Um, we talked about it a little last week. It seems like if if he was to return, it would be uh, in a reduced role. Is that something you think he's interested in, the team's interested in? You think those parties are still kind of waiting to see what happens? Definitely a wait to see what happens with this injury. Um, you know, it's, it's knee surgery. It's It might be a minor knee surgery. But knee surgery is knee surgery, and when you're 31 years old and you've been in the NBA since you were 18, yeah, it's it's still knee surgery. And people Let's, react to that meniscus tear yeah. in different ways. So yeah. we don't know. You know, everyone throws out six weeks, six weeks. But isn't that that's what Kimba had, right? That's he had a a meniscus tear at one point. And someone else had a non-hornet that's, that's escaping me right now. But um, a lot yeah. of people, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very common injury. But it also there are three different meniscuses, menisci, <laughs> meniscuses, <laughs> and uh, there are three different. Listen, you're the guy that used the word unmoored. You have yeah, to know so these. <laughs> there are three different menisci. I'm going to go with menisci. I'm rolling with it, and uh, they they all do different things. They all you can you can actually have no, no meniscus. You know, you can get. Your entire, all three parts of it removed, um, if necessary, if you need to get back on the court really quickly. I remember uh, Meta World Peace had his meniscus removed and was back in two weeks. Mm. Um, that guy's not a human, but right, right. Um, <laughs> Noted. so no one should you know hold anyone to their standard. But I think with Al, the future is is that he needs to get back on the court and prove that he's still can stay on the court um, to have any value to any team. I mean, it's not, that's not to say he won't be in the NBA next year. Right. He will clearly, but we're talking about the difference between our, he's making 13 and a half million this year. He is probably not going to make 13 and a half million from any team next year, but he even might with the salary, even yeah, with the, he might with still be a 10, $12 million guy because the cap's going up. The question is how much, how important is starting to him mm-hmm. and how important is, the the getting the most money versus staying in a in a place that he likes he likes Charlotte yeah he likes the South he's from the South he likes a lot of his teammates you know especially if I mean I I think Marvin Williams who's known Al for more than like almost twenty years they uh, their relationship might if personally I think that the Hornets should do everything to bring back to bring back Marvin just like Batum. Marvin Will- bring back Marvin Williams, that might pre- present some comfortableness with that for Al where he can say, even though Marvin and I are, might play in the second unit, we're still going to get 25 minutes a game. We're still going to be on a good team that you know has a good vision for the future. On the other hand, there are teams that absolutely will give Al a starting job, and then there are teams that might say to Al, instead of playing 25 minutes for the Hornets, play 20 minutes and possibly win a title. Right, yeah. So there are so many different angles that could— so many different ways that Al could be pulled. My, I honestly believe, and I've talked to several people who will tell you this. I don't think he's thinking about it at all right now. I genuinely think he just wants to get back on on the court. I don't think he's thinking about where his next team will be, but I do think he's thinking I need to get back on the court, both for my own sanity as a competitor and for the fact that I need to prove that I can still play. That's important to him from both a pride perspective and a future earnings perspective. And if you're a Hornets fan and you're looking at this situation just this season, that's encouraging because 
when he does return, you know, he's going to be even more motivated than he was before this season began because the stakes are now all of a sudden so much higher. Yeah. I just don't think that this the, the thought that a, you know, the game or the league has passed Al or players like Al by. I mean, obviously people are going to, you know, more of the small ball, the faster up up tempo stuff. But I also think, you know, he could still fit here in Charlotte. I mean, they could still play with him. They they could still play this new style with with Al. I'm just trying to think of another big man, another offensive big man that comes off the bench. An S. Cantor. Yeah. That's I mean, a good, he's all that's offense. Great. And, and an S. Cantor is, is playing about 22 killed minutes. the Hornets with that baseline jumper. Yeah. Good an S. Cantor is playing 22 minutes a game for the Thunder. So this is why we have him on the show. That was perfect. He and just he, he had it, threw the card out. You know, he that's the kind of role that I think, with, assuming Cody Zeller is going to hold on to this starting center job, which seems very likely to me, at least for the rest of this season. I think uh, Al coming off the bench could post offensive players tend to do well off benches because opposing teams benches don't defend well which is actually like a circular logic because the reason they don't defend well is because teams put offensive players on the bench (laughs) but (laughs) a, a, a really skilled post player like al almost no team has a second unit player that's going to match up well against him Mm. and that's going to mean that you know when he's not playing the bulls and joakim noah most teams are going to have no idea how to match up in that late first quarter or beginning of the fourth quarter when they've got when you're trying to rest your starters and you've got your your bench guys and they're trying to deal with Al Jefferson throwing up three pump three pump fakes on every play they're not going to know how to deal with it a lot it's a lot of younger big guys it's a lot of so that there's a high potential for him to be even more effective on the bench. He could be a 55-60% field goal percentage guy. If he's coming off the bench, he'd just be doing it in fewer minutes. And that's sort of, we've talked about that concept with Jeremy Lin as well. When you put him in the second unit, his quickness is usually greater than whoever they can throw out defensively against him. Here's what I worry about, though. And you saw this in the two games where, where Al Jefferson returned off of that suspension, I feel like uh, he and Jeremy Lin don't have, and they certainly haven't had a ton of time to develop a chemistry yeah. together, but uh, they yeah. don't have a great, they, they kind of, uh, they don't have a groove together yet. And he developed a really good groove with Kemba. Like Kemba knows where he is when he wants the ball, when he doesn't want the ball. Uh, so, so I gave Hornets fans a reason to be excited when he returns. I think the reason to be concerned is that if he does go to the bench and has to play significant minutes with Jeremy Lin as his point guard, there could be some uh, growing pains. Yeah, it could be. I just think it's hard to tell. As you mentioned, when he came back, he was it was such a short stint when he came back, and there was plenty of rust. I mean, was it an 11-game layoff for Al, all total? I mean, that's you know that's a lot for him to come back and, 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 you know, go full bore right out of the box. But I mean, that's the concern. I think, um, you know, another possibility is they've got some pretty good shooters on that second unit. We mentioned land before, uh, they could keep adding those pieces. So, you know, the second unit option that you mentioned is, is interesting. And it kind of feels like if this marriage is going to keep going, that's the direction it would take. But, um, as Adi, as Adi confirmed, and, and we said, it's it, at this point, it's such a wait and see with how he bounces back from this injury. It's going to be something to watch for. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, to, to continue on the Lynn point, it's interesting. Like, I'm mostly talking about him as a second option, as a second unit guy next season. It's fascinating mm-hmm. because we don't really know what the, the – I mean, we know Kemba, Kaminsky, and Cody will be on this team next year. Almost no one else. Oh, and MKG, <laughs> MKG. if he's healthy. Um, we, we know almost no one else who's going to be on this team because Jeremy Lin can and almost certainly will be a free agent. He's not going to want to make $2 million next year after mm-hmm. playing this well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvin Williams and Al Jefferson are, and, and Nick Batum are free agents. So we don't really know, does Jeremy Lin go somewhere else or do they dis, or do they pay more for Jeremy Lin to be the guy to lead their second unit because they're – they're not going to pay him more than they're paying Kemba. That's not going to happen. Um, so the idea that 
perhaps some of this is what direction Rich Cho and Michael Jordan sitting down saying, what direction do we want our second unit to head in? Because yeah. we've got these guys. We know we're going to try to keep Batum. We know Cody is Cody and Frank are probably two of the main big men that we want for the future. We know MKG is locked up and Kemba's locked up. Okay, so what direction do we want our second unit to head in? Do we want to bring back Marvin? Do we want to bring back Al? Do we want to bring back Jeremy? Those are those are questions that they're going to have to answer this offseason, and I think that greatly impacts where all three of those guys head. Are they willing to accept second unit roles when they could potentially try to be starters elsewhere? And are they what Cho and Jordan decide they want the second unit to look like? Yeah, so many more question marks. Uh, already then. talking about next season. Uh, no. <laughs> it's only 500. The, the team is... is we, we still have basketball. We, we can we can do this. We, we have to go back. Uh, there's my lost reference for the show. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's look ahead a little bit to, to the, the upcoming games before our Saturday show. That'll be Phoenix. Really, that's the only, that's, that's the only game because uh, the Clippers rematch is on uh, Saturday. So Phoenix... Hmm. You're, you, I mean, you you keep your your fingers on the pulse of all things NBA. What uh, up with Phoenix? Phoenix looks uh, a little disheveled. <sighs> Phoenix is like taking the walk of shame <laughs> right now in the NBA. The Suns right now are are playing like the worst team in the league, and uh, it's not pretty at all. And you know, there's a decent chance that Jeff Hornacek gets fired very soon. When I say decent, I mean like it's very, very likely that he will be fired very soon. There's uh, a good chance that Markeith Morris gets traded very soon. That might – the problem, of course, whenever a player asks, demands for a trade and then plays like crap is that he loses his trade value. So, you know, they may they may try to hold out and, and get teams to bid against each other. But right now the Suns are basically the team anyone wants to play because they don't have – the, their locker room is not in a good place right now. Their coaching staff is not in a good place right now. Their management is not in a good place right now. And they're injured, too. I mean, on on top of all of that, they they are without their best player in Eric Bledsoe. So right. it's basically a, a absolute nadir for the, uh, for the Suns, and that's going to be... A very welcome reprieve for the Hornets. Yeah, it, it's similar to the situation that they had heading into the the Lakers game, where it was uh, it's a little rocky, and, and they absolutely the the loss would be a terrible loss. The win would be like, eh. I, and I pro- it probably Clifford didn't sound too upset after the Warriors game, and I think the Hornets for they, good reason. I mean, they gave a good effort. Yeah. Good job, good effort. And I, I, and think, I think part of it is he's looking ahead to the Phoenix game and going, "This is an opportunity we one. have to win." Yeah, yeah, and that uh, that win is is going to feel good. I mean, the geez, the, the Suns have not won since December eighteenth. Uh, they've given up a hundred points pretty much every night except for Sunday when they gave up ninety seven to the Lakers. They gave up one hundred forty two points to the Kings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in regulation, they gave up a hundred. Yeah, folks, that's not a triple overtime. Oh score. my gosh! And in that Lakers game, they scored twenty-two points in the whole first half. That's why they they slowed the tempo down, which is why they did not uh, give up a hundred. So it can't. It's not all bled. So obviously, I mean, is it is it the separation of the Morai twins? Is it just everything going to to crap this season? I mean, because because things were so optimistic out there. Their front office has a very interesting approach and uh, it's actually not all that dissimilar from the Sixers approach of a lot of asset management. Right. And they've rubbed a lot of their best players the wrong way over the years. Um, Certainly Goran Dragic, certainly Markeith Morris. I think you're already starting to see it with Tyson Chandler a little bit, um, though I could be wrong there. It's, uh, you know, Isaiah Thomas also. Yeah. And, and Eric Bledsoe was not thrilled that they brought in, Isaiah either so they they've done all these things and it's it's a very challenging situation to sort of say to to convince players who all have massive egos again we're just talking about Al and whether he needs to feels like he's going to need to start or not Mm. Al Jefferson wants to win above all else but he still has the ego of I'm an NBA starter 
And, mm. you know, so you get all these guys and, and you load up a roster with a lot of players who have value in the exact role that you want to pigeonhole them in, but they don't see themselves as that role. And that's, I think, more than anything what's happened. And then balancing youth. So they're starting TJ Warren. Mm. They're starting um, Der- Devin Booker. These are guys getting their first cracks at the rotation, so that's been a, a, a bouncy ride. And and they had some sneaky success last year, right? So two not, years ago, two really, years ago, yeah. yeah. Um, so they're certainly not sneaking up on anybody, I guess. But geez, yeah. I mean, Hornacek, was, did he win Catch of the Year? Two years ago, I believe he was the runner up. Okay, and Popovich won. I want to go. I want to go back to what you said about the the team being more asset management oriented. Do any teams come to mind that really uh, resemble the opposite of that, where they're not really asset management focused? They're more about, you know, massaging players' egos or or, or being personable with players. And where do you think that? Sure. Do, you, do you think the Hornets? Where do the Hornets fall in that uh, spectrum? Well, I think you know certainly the Clippers um, don't think much about future assets. They think about the talent level of the current roster. Um, That's why they have this weird misfit roster that has guys like Lance Stevenson and Josh Smith barely playing right now because those guys are really talented. They just, you know, they didn't think of them as leverageable assets as much as we need to stack our roster with the most possible talent. Um, Hmm. The Nets threw away all their their assets, so they have no assets. Um, (laughs) But I think the Hornets are very much a... A, a pretty traditionally run team that's trying to win. Yeah, um, they they definitely that they, they care about winning. That the, and they should. They they're at a point where in their franchise and in their city and in their fan base, making the playoffs, winning a playoff game, which mm-hmm. they have not done since they left for New Orleans, would be a very big thing for this city. I think, and I think a lot of people would would care about that and and embrace the Hornets just for taking that step. So they care about the future, certainly. And one of the nice parts about the way their front office is set up, there's a lot of voices. The Warriors have a ton of voices in their front office. The Hornets have six or seven people who are somewhat involved to varying degrees in decision-making. Rich Cho and Michael Jordan are the two most dominant voices. Those people all have different opinions on things. And We've seen you see moves sometimes, and you go, "That's a rich move. That's an MJ move." And you know, Frank Kaminsky was widely reported to be an MJ move, right? Right. right. It's it's Frank Kaminsky's a good player. You know, you can talk about Justice Winslow, but Frank Kaminsky's a good player. Uh, so we've seen like the Batoon move seems like a very rich show move. That's certainly worked out too, and and. I think that the combined forces, they all want to win. They have different ideas on how to win, and that's a that's a good thing for your franchise as long as no one voice always overpowers, always wins every conversation, which MJ used to be accused of, and I think he's pulled off the off the I'm going to win every argument. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think it's bit, I think yeah. it's a great point you brought up about sort of the dichotomy between Rich Cho and Michael Jordan and a lot of people would put it like you know, one's analytical and one's you know is a former player but I think it's it's a little more than that I think that uh, a, I think it's an asset to have a, an owner in Michael Jordan who can because it's a balancing act right like you have to run a team uh, like a set of assets, but you also have to understand that they're human beings and you have to manage their personalities and you have to manage their roles and their egos. And so it's important to have uh, a, a set of voices that can accomplish that. And I think the Hornets are, and I think Clifford falls into that category as well. I think he's somebody who knows how to be an NBA coach, knows how to manage uh, egos. And so I, I think it's a it's been a good combo and we haven't seen a lot of uh, turmoil you know, within the locker room or with guys being terribly unhappy with their situation. And even, you know, you look back at the Lance Stevenson situation, and it was one that certainly uh, went south fast, got toxic fast, but it didn't get toxic in a way that we've seen it get toxic in other places where there wasn't a big explosion. There wasn't right, there's no backlash thing. against the team until he left and, you know, fired a few 
shots after sure. that, but, that, but that's, that's normal. Yeah, there wasn't a there wasn't a uh, was it Dunlap and Ben Gordon when he wouldn't <laughs> stop dribbling in practice, and... or or famously <laughs> uh, Silas and Dial or, or Silas and uh, Ty, uh, Tyrus. Those Thomas. are just good good stories. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, you, you know, you, we haven't seen those issues despite the team. Uh, they've had their struggles. Well, yeah. they're trying to put that culture in place, and we've talked about that a little bit. You know, keeping Clifford on, I think, is a big part of that. But I think you're right too, Adi. I mean, it's a group effort. I mean, at the end of the day, of course, Michael Jordan is going to have whatever final say there is, and I guess he should. I mean, he, he's team owner and all that stuff. Um, but I certainly think there's a. It's much more of a group effort. And people do want to label it show move or MJ move. You know, when it looks horrible, it's always an MJ move. <laughs> Especially this summer, MJ was making all the moves. And for the most part, all those moves this summer have been pretty positive so far. So I think you have to feel good about that if you're a Hornets fan. And, you know, it's it's not easy, especially when you get injuries going your way. But but I think you're right. It's it's much more of a team effort than I think people either realize or, or want to point out. And I've heard Rich and Steve Clifford talk about Jordan's impact and the way he he runs the team which is he's actually pretty positive you know he has this reputation that he has fought tooth and nail nail to earn as kind of an uh yeah over competitive bear mm-hmm. of a person who's very abrasive and on the court he certainly was and when he's giving hall of fame speeches and not crying he certainly is <laughs> but you know he he's he's done a really good job of getting the coaches, the players, the the front office to work with him, to like working with him. Steve tells stories about how there were times where they would come back home for the second game in a back-to-back and lose to a bad team. And MJ would show up in the locker room, which he doesn't always do, and say – and not say to all the players or anything, just say to Steve, like, I've been there. You know, I've been on that back-to-back where you – win the first game on the road in a tough game and then the second game not all owners know, understand that I, or can say that they don't slash they really you know all of them except for them. Yeah. right and re- they really don't and mj he knows he's been there he, he's done every single thing other than use a hoverboard that all these players have so <laughs> you know it's it's the and what's the biggest that, complaint that everyone has about their boss he doesn't know my yeah. He didn't know my deal. Well, he was in this case. He was better at your deal. <laughs> <than> you <were. laughs> yeah, I, I think it's at least to me looking at it, and you see him courtside after games. I mean, high fiving every body, every player down the bench. These are mostly after wins, and and he's in a good mood. But it seems like, especially certainly since his playing days, but even when he was in Washington doing front office stuff, he's. I don't think mellow is the right word for MJ, but he's certainly taken a step back from where he was as a player. He can't go in and affect a game. He can't go in and instantly change something. And that's something that probably took him some time to learn. Um, and he's become, you know, a little more patient, seen it a little more mellowed out a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's interesting to watch. Um, he's just – he's always going to – he's still going to be – a target for you know when something goes wrong people want to laugh or whatever but I, you know it's 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 turning into more of a culture as opposed to just a stop on the way to his next whatever and i think one one part of that is that owner michael jordan uh you know majority owner michael jordan is a much healthier situation than mm. uh minority owner slash team president gm uh michael jordan and he's not he's not answering to anyone but he's listening to people now, whereas I think he felt, you know, when you're the GM, he felt personally responsible for every single move, and he felt like he had to appease Bob Johnson. Mm-hmm. Now he knows he can trust. He hired people he can trust. He hired, you know, some of these people are, you know, his brother and his one of his best friends. That's fine. But some of these people are salary cap genius, Rich Cho, who he plucked from Portland who has, you know, years of experience managing a salary cap, that's the type of thing, the exact type of thing that Michael Jordan as a GM got criticized for. Yeah. Well, right. I, we didn't mean to jump off an MJ tangent, but have an audience here. Well, it's, an, inside. It, no, it, it's been amazing. Yeah. And I want to say also that he always wears a tie in here. He's probably, he's the only human being that's ever <laughs> worn a tie in this studio. 
So that's impressive. It's Tuesdays, and that's our office thing. So I, <laughs> Tuesday tie day. Yeah, like we, we wear ties on Tuesdays, so that's a sporting news tradition. And there you go. Well, Adi Joseph, he's an NBA editor for Sporting News. You can follow him on Twitter, at Adi Joseph. Uh, we have a Thursday show now, so it won't be near as long uh, before we get you back on here because we, we always love to talk to you. So right. thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks, Adi. Uh, yeah, so, some great points there, and I I do need to say that um, that watching Golden State is 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 something. It's just amazing. It's yeah, just the mix of of watching them just for enjoyment, and then when they're when you're playing the team that you're cheering for, it's it's not that enjoyable. I was I didn't want that game to last any longer, a because it was it was bedtime and I was sleepy, but also because you know. They play such a delightful brand of basketball, as we all know. We, we've gone on and on about it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they are, you know, like I said, on a different plane. But I was not discouraged, Doug. I mean, were you, were you, you know, throwing pillows around the room and, and slamming your fist into your mattress? No, no. I, I, it was a fun game. And I thought the Hornets, when the Hornets made their final run in – uh, well, they really they made a final final run in the fourth quarter, but mm-hmm. in the late fourth quarter, that was undone by Draymond's dunk. But when they made the the run before that, the where they got within one on the Lynn three, it was exciting. But it was it felt like oh okay like it, there this, was so much effort. It's so effortless on the part of the Warriors. I said it in the last game. They they make you put so much effort into getting them to barely miss. And another thing that I noticed that they do. It's almost Bill Belichickian, where they'll they'll do a post entry or, or or some kind of maneuver, and it doesn't work. Either the defense uh, reads it, or the pass is fumbled, and the pass will come back out, and they'll do it again, and then do it better and beat you all in the same possession. There's only 24 seconds on the shot clock, right, right? And they they manage to do it, and that I think. For an NBA team that's trying to defend that can be very demoralizing, and it's part of, you know, they're doing something that's just, they're doing all kinds of things that are gonna, unprecedented. Uh, we haven't seen well, it. Well, we haven't seen it, and I, and I don't think that, that NBA teams have seen it. No. And, and you, there were a couple of times I looked at Kimball Walker's face after guarding Steph, and he just, he had that like, I have to wail. Uh, what like, what is the, the, the emoji, you know, the wail? Yeah. Uh, well, after one, I mean, the, the behind-the-back dribble to the pull-up through it, you can't stay in front of it. You can't stop it. Uh, and they mentioned on the broadcast last night his efficiency in the lane. You know, if he gets in the lane and he puts the ball in the glass, it's going in. Like, yeah. it's not going to roll out. Those are That's another two points uh, that you got to fight back against. So, you know, a, a tough outing. I actually felt better uh, in that game than I did watching the one when the Warriors were in Charlotte, though. I mean, what do you think? Yes, hard to compare. I mean, it's, it know. it was difficult to compare, but the, certainly when when you take all the injuries into account, and yeah. then you go, okay, you start to question whether they have enough uh, guys, whether they have enough energy to to really match up, and the fact that they went toe to toe with the Warriors that is a good sign. You're right. In in some sense, they went toe to toe. Hey, I want to bring it. We have a surprise guest, and I don't even know if I told you about this, but I, and I honestly, mom. mom? No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where in the in the world he is. Uh, but it's it's our man from athehive dot com, Nick Denning. Nick, are you in these United States of America, or or are you still abroad? I, I am in the United States of America. <laughs> are, <laughs> where where were you? I was in uh, I was in Paris. I was in London Paris? and uh, in Manchester. That's awesome. That's that's very cool. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get your uh, what you did over summer vacation some other time. Uh, but we brought you in <laughs> to talk to you about this uh, hot topic here, a little Hornets hot topic. The, this happened. I don't know if you saw this, David. This uh, it's kind of a low key thing. Not many people are talking about it. It happened at Time Warner Cable Arena. Uh, a courtside fan interacted a little too intensely, a little too much. With Kevin Durant, uh, it, again, in Time Warner Cable Arena, this was a Hornets fan, and got a red card, usually reserved for soccer this time. And it didn't it didn't have the same punishment as it does in soccer. This was a red card warning, and it had some uh, verbiage on it that basically said, don't, don't interact with these players don't like this. Don't do that. Hey, don't do that, guy. 
Yeah, that was bizarre. I yeah. was watching. Now, were you at this game, Doug? I was at the game. Now, did you see the altercate? Well, the the event from start to finish because I don't think on TV we saw everything. No, and you know what the thing about it is? First of all, no, I saw the aftermath. I caught because I was watching whatever was. I was probably tweeting because I live tweet, you know, from the arena. But did now, Nick? How much of how much did you see of the? Did you see any of the actual altercation other than you know what's been you know kind of bandied about on the on the interwebs? Yeah, no, I can't say that I, I saw it live. I, it would have been very difficult, anyways, because I, I was I was actually covering the game for at the hive, but um. I was really jet lagged, so it was very tough for me to actually focus on what was going on. And suddenly, I just see the play stopping and going, "Wait, what is going on right now?" It was very, it was very bizarre. So, yeah. what we've seen is basically there was a free throw situation for Oklahoma City, and Kevin Durant moves towards the sideline, and apparently, this courtside fan did not like this invasion of his personal courtside space. And and him and, and, and Durant had words. Now, I have some audio. This was picked up by a cameraman for uh, the Hornets broadcast team. So l- let me play that audio real quick. So let me let me play that again. This is the fan talking to the, the guy that gave him the red card, the, the NBA official. Because this is tough to hear. So I'll play it one more time. It sounded like he said Kevin Durant came up to me, yep. uh, stood right up, yep. and th- then something about maybe being afraid of a sucker punch or I'm not going to get sucker punched. That's what I took it to be. Not that he was. It's tough. It's to sort of like punch. Zapruder film. I've been yeah. <laughs> I've been listening to it over and over, just trying to figure it out. We need to get an audio analyst in here to to run some tests but that's what it sounded like to me and watching it live when they kept great great mic job by the way great pickup on the broadcast there just a pro <laughs> pro level team it sounded like kd went over to him for some reason maybe stepped over the actual line on the court into the into the paint uh, you know on the out of bounds um line there and then this guy stood up i will say for like this guy has been um i i'm familiar with this this fan uh, very passionate. Uh, I'll just say, very passionate guy. Uh, big Hornets fan has got to be. He's there at a lot of these games. But then I guess he stood up in a confrontational way to Kevin Durant, which I think is is crossing the line, both literally and, and figuratively, on that one, Doug. Yeah. Well, first I want to go to Nick. Now I want to ask you, Nick. He's a fr- this fan was afraid of getting sucker punched, but but in my view, like if I'm going to get sucker punched by anyone. It's going to be the billionaire on national TV. Like I feel like you'd be, you'd be pretty set up for life. You know what I'm saying, Nick? I mean, yeah, Kevin Durant had a lot more to lose from that situation than this guy. So I'm not sure what he was, you know, quite uh, afraid of there. I mean, I know we're, you know, we're, I mean, we're how many years removed from Malice at the Palace? But, yeah. I mean, to me, this is a, this is a little different situation. And you know, Kevin Durant's a guy that just seems to. Like anytime he feels that, I mean, and this is, I'm not saying this is only, I think a lot of players probably would have reacted the same way here, but you know, Kevin Durant isn't afraid to voice his opinion when he doesn't like some, the way someone is interacting mm-hmm. with him, whether it's the media or anything like this. And so, you know, maybe that's why, you know, he brought the attention, uh, you know, brought the, this attention to the refs, but obviously, you know, it, it's a, yeah, I mean, I don't know what this guy's quite afraid of, you know, getting sucker punched, to be honest. I was, I was watching a video uh, from Dane Carbaugh, who I believe uh, uh, does stuff for SB Nation. Uh, no, he was, uh, this was for hardwood paroxysm. I think he formerly wrote for yeah. SB Nation. Um, but he said, you know, he mentioned Kevin Durant as a quiet leader. And I, I'm sure not a lot of fans pay attention to Kevin Durant's interactions with the media, but they're not... They're not exactly quite. They seem a little aggressive. You think this guy like had some? He says he was talking crap about Kobe and and Kevin Durant. Just he couldn't take anymore. <laughs> or Russ or something. <laughs> or mentioned the Oklahoman or something. I, I mean, I'm know. guessing this guy like was explaining it to this you know game official saying, "Hey, I thought I was going to get sucker punched." Whether he actually did or not, who knows? Um, but I think anytime you can really uh, piss off an anger, you know, one of the best scores in the world against their team, you got you got to do it. 
No. <laughs> I know you're I know you're being sarcastic. See, here's the thing. So, Nick, my voice uh, my voice is a little uh, on the weak side uh because of this cold snap. And and so I wish oh, you too. Yeah, and, and I really like I can't believe this topic has to come up now because I'm so fired up about this kind of thing. I'm not a big fan of hecklers at at any sport, at any game. I just I just yeah. don't understand it, Nick. And, and I think that David kind of is on on my side about this. But what are your thoughts on people that that specifically heckle players? Not booing. I'm not talking about booing. I'm not talking about cheering. I'm not even talking about like, hey, ref, you're blind. I don't know why I went like 30s, like 1930s with that. But but I'm talking about people who who specifically say things to really get under the skin of, of a player. What are your thoughts on on people who do that? Most of the most hecklers say things that are really unoriginal. Um, they're uninspired. They think they're funny. They, I mean, like in their mind, like they think they're funny. They think they came up with what you know, whatever it is that they're saying. But really, they're probably like the twentieth person, you know, at, you know, in, in that day that has said that. So it's really not, you know. And ultimately, I, I don't like it. You know, now there are there are maybe small instances where people are creative in their in their heckling. I don't even know if you want to call it heckling at that point. But, you know, there are certain instances where, you know, you, you've seen players, like, actually, you know, laugh at something that a fan was doing because it's just so ridiculous or, you know, maybe it was harmless. Um, I know Boogie kind of actually, uh, you, you know, your, your guy, uh, DeMarcus Cousins, actually um, had a nice back guy. and forth with a fan. Not someone uh, I would recently. heckle. Number one on my list. Yeah, no, not, yeah. But he, was, went, was, yeah, was, he went, yeah, he went back and forth with yeah. someone. Yeah, and, and basically um, someone, the, the woman said that he was um, – he was acting like an eight-year-old, and he said, "Well, I think you do a great job taking care of your eight-year-old." Like she had like a kid with them or something, and it was like it was a perfect. Response. No, no, no. He, he said, he said, yeah. she said, "I think you're acting like my eight-year-old," and he said, oh, yeah. "You have a great eight-year-old." <laughs> Demarcus, <laughs> yeah, Demarcus. Great line. I was great really, line. So I wish I, I wish I had that kind of uh, ability to to right. joke on my feet. No, this, this comes on the heels of of the Golden State fan on Christmas Day. Uh, yeah. Making fun of LeBron. <laughs> oh yeah, and then yeah. and then like yeah. <laughs> realizing that she was doing it like right in front of him and 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 completely seizing up. Here's my, here's why in my mind there's no defense for this because when I pay money to go to a sporting event, I go there to watch the game. Sure. I go there to watch Kevin Durant, Russ Westbrook. I go there to watch the Hornets. I go there to watch basketball being played. And and for me, the hecklers are they 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 can they can say, "Oh, you know, I'm trying to get in this guy's head. I'm this is all part of being a fan." No, no. You you're trying to make the game about you. Yeah, and that's where I'm like, it's not really my thing. I mean, I I don't I don't think any of us go to the game looking to do that start up some thing with the fans, but like heckling goes back I mean, you know, you watch old Michael Jordan tapes and, and some guy says, pick on someone your own size. And, you know, he goes down and dunks on Mel Turpin. And, uh, you know, so this goes back a long way. There used to be a guy in Washington who was a famous heckler. Um, but I think you're but, right. But when, you're, when you but, take away from the game, I become part of the action to the point of um, – stoppage of the game i mean at one point kimball was like all right guys <laughs> let, like let's, let's play basketball yeah. how about that yeah so this went a little far and this like i said this is not the first time i've seen this particular fan jaw it up with 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 players and they even mentioned on the broadcast you know up to a certain point it's fine um you know have some fun if you want to they certainly paid a lot of money for those seats that doesn't say you can do anything you want down there but once you cross a line and certainly standing up to a player to defend yourself, I guess, when there's no imminent threat is probably something that you don't want to do. Well, when everyone else in the building, like Doug, is up there, I would have loved to have seen your face when this is going on. Listen, oh, you talk about like one situation that really gets me fired up. It's this. And I want to read this tweet uh, that we just got from at Locks the Fox. It, it, and he says, or he or she says, entertaining if their heckling is creative. Okay, I want to stop there. Honestly, if it's creative, I get a little more upset because, again, I feel like 
you're putting effort into it and you want you're like writing jokes or something and you're you're trying you're like all right i'm gonna go to the game and i'm really gonna drop this one on lebron like get out of here like go and watch a basketball game like are you kidding this is not this is not uh, the 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 laugh zone like what what the hell no i this i've already lost i'm not gonna be able to speak tomorrow thanks guys um no but seriously thanks for tweeting us tweet tweet your thoughts on this subject and and get me to yell some more so you were you were let's just I just you were against the heckling. I was yeah. okay. Okay. Uh, to be clear, I am <laughs> not for heckling. And and okay, if it's I can see your point a little bit, David. If it's one guy bought one ticket for a game, or maybe goes to a couple games all year, I, I could sort of kind of maybe a little bit understand like oh he's having fun. This is mm-hmm. his one game of year. But if you're just a, a serial heckler. Again, I just think it's pathetic. If you're, if you're trying to be You know me, listen, I'm normally, I, I like to be reasonable about certain things and sort of empathetic and see both sides of an argument. I To me, this is like, I'm getting a little Stephen A about this. I'm sorry, but I just, <laughs> I just. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just, I can't take it. Well, it is interesting though, because the NBA wants that close proximity for the fans and the players. Um, and I think if you have it, you know, where one guy's running down court, somebody says something after a shot, they have a quick exchange and that's it. It's over. It's probably about as far. They certainly, of course, like Nick said, they want nothing even in the same neighborhood at the, as the malice in the palace. Well, so well, listen, that's what they're guarding listen, against. Listen, ignorance knows no distance. And we've seen that already. It's a, I don't care about the closeness to the court because we saw the guy in Utah like use a laser pointer, yeah. brought a laser pointer yeah. into a basketball game yeah. and, and tried to tried to psych James Harden out. That's just <laughs> like come a, on. unbelievable, Nick. Oh no, that was ridiculous. Like I mean it's like what, what is that guy thinking? I don't I don't I don't know. People it's, are idiots. I can't bring my flash cam I can't bring my nice camera into the game, but this guy like smuggles in a I want to know where he hid that. That's what I want to know. Lasers, yes. Binoculars, no. Yeah, don't bring those binoculars. <laughs> By the way, at the what, pan- are the what are the chances? Uh, what are the chances he bought that in Myrtle Beach? You know. <laughs> yeah, probably. Chachkis. They do have the best lasers down there. <laughs> lasers, no, but oh, I, you said binoculars. I was at the Panthers game, and there was a guy next to me in my section. Or, or just the section that I was sitting in, I was at the 200 level, and he had binoculars, but the team was on, we were in the corner, but the team was an hour end zone. And I was like, I don't get it. Like, I get the binoculars if they're on the far side. <laughs> or, or if you're in the 500s. Like, but I don't understand why you would, I don't get it. Like, what are, like, that's pretty close. Like, you could, you're examining, like, towel residue at that point. Man, he's just looking for. He wants to see the. He wants to see the eye black. Are they are they running zone or man? I don't. Let me get my binoculars out. <laughs> All right. Okay. So that's you know uh, Nick. Now that you're back in the states, uh, the states, the states, and next week we want to do picks again, and we've got to get our picks on track. Well, a we've got to get the picks on track, and b you we need have to total them up, don't you? Well, you yes. No I need I need at least three weeks to do some math. Um. <laughs> But did you see the the Zach Lowe thing on offensive rebounds and their their value or or not or or do they have value and why aren't teams it was sort of like why are teams falling out of love with the offensive board? No, I thought it was a really interesting article. And then someone, not really a rebuttal, but just a further examination of that article, did another article in which he did a calculus analysis of offensive boards and the value that you get when you get an offensive board and at the end of this article the guy said i i'm so i use calculus in in every aspect of my life <laughs> i thought like i never use calculus he's the guy he's the guy he's the one guy like yeah every calculus teacher woke up in a like a sweat and was like yes it's amazing but it was it was legitimate calculus anyway. But yeah, we got to get the picks back on track, Nick. Um, yeah. Hey, listen, we we did uh, to introduce you to the audience. We did Nick's uh, facts. Do you have a fact from us from your trip? Do you have something interesting to tell us from oh. your trip as we close the show? Um. Well, I did get engaged. Whoa! <laughs> Congratulations! Our family is growing, Doug. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. 
Let us yeah, know what date. Well, let us know. Let us know what date we need to hold on our okay, calendars. Yeah. We're super busy. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll put a save the date up there. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do Hive Talk live from from my wedding. Now know? we're talking. Listen, yes, now we're talking. Yes, I will be your best man. All right, fine. I mean, you... I'll plan the bachelor party, Nick. Fine. Okay. All right, but we'll take care, and we'll, we'll we'll get you back in here soon. And yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. All right, thank you, guys. Yeah. Look at that, Doug. He's all grown up. I feel like I'm a part of this somehow. I don't know. I feel like the confidence that he gained from being on this show Listen, helped him. Even though somehow. we've never met the lucky <laughs> young lady, I too feel like we had a, a rather substantial hand in this. I, I yeah, I do as well. Uh, well, thanks to um, the soon-to-be betrothed uh, Nick Denning for joining us, and and of course Adi Joseph from Sporting News. Hey, we have a Thursday show. Coming up in two weeks, stay tuned to uh, atthehive.com, hivetalklive.com, and and Twitter for more information on that. Go to atthehive.com for all the latest news and analysis. For David, Nick, and producer Katie, I'm Doug saying stay bought in, stay believing. All hail the teal and purple.